Thunderbird has acquired canine mail. TikTok data was accessible by China, even if you were not a Chinese citizen. A ton of research, seriously, so much research, and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 92, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry is currently in Europe at MoneroCon and will be back with us next week. On that note, Monero, Monero, Monero. If you want to support us, Monero is obviously something we're both fans of. Henry is, like I said, at MoneroCon, and I spoke remotely. I unfortunately wasn't able to go this time, but yeah, we're, we're both pretty big believers in Monero. It's basically digital cash. It's as anonymous as you can get when it comes to paying online, and it's very user-friendly. Like, you just get some Monero, and you send. So it's not like Bitcoin, where you have to run it through a whirlpool and do all this crazy kind of extra stuff. It's just click and go. So yeah, Monero, if you want to support us, that is probably the most anonymous way out there. But of course, we still have our Patreon and that gets you perks like ad-free episodes, a list of show notes, the ability to ask us questions each week and more. So a little bit of a trade-off in privacy there, but it is a way to keep us going with automated recurring payments and get a little bit of something in return. If you are able to donate, please do and help us keep going. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much. Our highlight story this week is that Thunderbird acquired canine mail like that's really what happened so canine mail for those who don't know is an open source email client on android and it's hugely popular i haven't used it myself but from what i've seen it's very user friendly it's very minimal and it's just a great private mail solution for android well mozilla has been wanting to release thunderbird on android for a long time and fans of thunderbird have been calling for that and when some of the Mozilla staff met the developer of Canine Mail, they were both on the same page. So they decided just to merge. So the developer has been hired full time and will have access to all of Thunderbird's resources. And ultimately, Canine Mail will be rebranded as Thunderbird on Android. So don't panic when that happens, it is coming. So is this good or bad? Well, overall, it's probably good. It will ensure Canine Mail's long-term sustainability. It's not just one guy plugging away at it anymore. Now there's a whole team and there's, you know, a whole infrastructure with payments and things like that. The article didn't mention that they were taking away any features, which I guess wouldn't really be a surprise. You don't want to acquire a new project and then immediately say everything that you're going to gut and scare off your user base. But they did mention that they are going to be adding some and they listed some of those that might be good, that might not. Like I said, if you're one of the people who enjoyed the minimalism of Canine Mail, then some of these additions might be bloatware that you don't want. But for others, they may be features that will just make it better. It, it Honestly, at this point, it's really too early to tell. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. With that, let's move into our data breaches section. And we're going to start off with a story about schools and institutions hit by a major data leak. 750,000 children and adults data exposed. So this affected students and teachers across Denmark and was caused by a software flaw that allowed, quote, people with little technological savvy to gain unintended access, unquote. This exposed full names, usernames in the internal systems, and whether the person was a teacher or student and other similar information. The misconfiguration may go back as far as 2007. The article did do the usual, like nothing sensitive was exposed, but they did point out like it still sucks and that's not cool. So that was a pretty cool note to take. Our next data breach comes from Kaiser Permanente, who exposed the healthcare records of 70,000 patients. This appears to have only affected Washington state in early April, and it includes first and last name, medical record number, dates of service, and lab test results. Did not include dates of birth, social security numbers, or payment information. So again, could have been much worse, still not great. And it appears to have come from an email, quote unquote, security slip up that has since been corrected. The article didn't really 
specify what that meant. Our last data breach comes from a US ambulance billing service called Comstar. The article did not say exactly how many people were affected, but it was discovered on March 26th. It was disclosed on June 14th, included dates of birth, quote, information regarding medical assessments and medication administration, unquote, health insurance info, driver's licenses, financial account information, and social security numbers. That one's a little bit worse. It always sucks when it's things where you shouldn't lie, you know, school, medical, things like that. So best I got is if you live in a country that allows you to freeze your credit, that will stop most identity theft. Be careful what information you hand out and try not to if you can avoid it. That will take us into our companies section. We're going to start with a kind of alarming story. The headline says U.S. defense contractor in talks to take over NSO Group's hacking technology. So the contractor in question is called L3 Harris or La Harris. I don't know how to pronounce that. And the article points out that any agreement still faces significant hurdles, including requiring the blessing of the U.S. and Israeli governments, which have not yet given the green light to a deal, unquote. So this isn't a for sure thing. Quoting the article again, if agreed, the deal would mark an astounding turnaround for NSO. Less than a year after the Biden administration placed the company on a U.S. blacklist and accused it of acting contrary to foreign policy and national security interests of the U.S., unquote. Personal opinion, I have a hard time imagining the U.S. would not be okay with America owning NSO technology. So I don't know if Israel is going to go for this. Our next story comes from Facebook and is pretty worrying. It says Facebook is receiving sensitive medical information from hospital websites. A tracking tool installed on many hospital websites has been collecting patients' sensitive health information, including details about their medical conditions, prescriptions, and doctor's appointments, and sending it back to Facebook. So this comes from the markup, and they found the Metapixel Tracker, which we've discussed before. It's a little tracking pixel that tracks you and submits data back to Facebook. They found this tracker on 33 of the top 100 hospital sites in the U.S., so in one example, they clicked schedule online, like to go schedule an appointment, and the button sent Facebook the text of the button, so schedule online, the doctor name, and the search term that brought the person to the website, which in this case was pregnancy termination. So that's worrying, especially with uh, certain Supreme Court decisions impending here in the U.S., the article says the markup also found the Metapixel installed inside the password-protected patient portals of seven health systems. So this is huge. All data is sensitive to an extent, especially when Facebook gets their grubby little paws on it. But this is especially unsettling given the particularly sensitive nature of medical data and the fact that it was password-protected inside a portal. So this might actually be a HIPAA violation, and we'll see if anybody presses charges over that. Next up, we got a couple of stories from TikTok. The first one says, TikTok moves US user data to Oracle servers. I'm just gonna quote the whole article because it's actually just a really short blurb from Reuters. It says, TikTok has completed migrating its US users' information to server servers at Oracle Corp in a move that could address US regulatory concerns over data integrity on the popular video app. The move comes nearly two years after a US national security panel ordered by ByteDance to divest TikTok because of fears that the US user data could be passed on to China's government, unquote. But on that note, the second headline from TikTok says leaked audio from 80 internal TikTok meetings shows that US user data has been repeatedly accessed from China. I'm going to quote the article again here. For years, TikTok has responded to data privacy concerns by promising that information gathered about users in the United States is stored in the United States rather than China, where ByteDance, the video platform's parent company, is located. But according to leaked audio from more than 80 internal TikTok meetings, China-based employers of ByteDance have repeatedly accessed non-public data about US TikTok users. That is incredibly troubling. Things like this are why there is so much paranoia and uncertainty on the internet. Normally when we talk about how some people in the privacy community can be extreme or overly paranoid, we're usually kind of like telling people to chill out. In this case, I'm actually gonna go with you guys and say, I completely understand. 
because they're flat out lying to your face. They're, they're flat out saying like, no, 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 we never passed the data to China. But this article goes on to talk about how Chinese employees were basically like, yeah, we pull up any data we want, anytime we want, no issue. You know, it's as easy as clicking on a folder and opening it. So it's, it's so hard to know who to trust when all these companies are repeatedly lying to you like this, just flat out lying to your face. We have a few ways around that. That's one reason we're a big fan of open source is because open source, you can see what the app is doing. We're also big fans of like a history of legal requests. Like for example, we've talked about all the time that Signal has been served multiple legal requests and every time they do, they have almost nothing to turn over. So these are the kind of things that help build trust. Okay, our next couple stories come from Microsoft. The first one says new Windows 11 privacy feature lists app that use your microphone and camera. So this is part of the Windows 11 preview build on the Windows Insiders development channel. And this new feature tracks apps that have accessed your camera, microphone, contacts, location, phone calls, messaging, and screenshots within the last week. Unfortunately, that's about all the information it gives you. The article points out it would be nice if they gave you more information, but I mean, hey, this is a huge step up. So congratulations, Microsoft. Not a huge Windows fan over here, but still like progress is progress and we always applaud it, even from a company that's not great. This is a good step. And then on the topic of Microsoft, just your monthly reminder, this week was Patch Tuesday. For those of you who are new, that means the second Tuesday of every month, Microsoft rolls out security updates. So if you are a Windows user, be sure to check, make sure you got those and enable automatic updates because they're good. Our next article comes from a group called Choice who is raising concerns over Bunnings, Kmart, and the good guys use of facial recognition technology. So this comes from Australia. Choice is a consumer group and they allege that the stores in question were using facial recognition, first of all, without good reason. And secondly, that 76% of Australians were not aware that they were using facial recognition. Therefore, Choice is going to be referring these stores to the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner to investigate potential breaches of the Privacy Act and we will keep you updated if anything comes out of that. But if you're in Australia, be sure to keep that in mind next time you have to visit one of those stores. So this next article was clearly written by someone who is not fluent in English. I don't mean that in a knock. It's just one of those things where like you start reading it, it takes you a minute to realize you're like, something is really weird about this. And then you start noticing some words being used incorrectly and you're like, oh, uh, okay. But they still get their point across. So it's, it's still worth checking out. The headline says, you agreed to what? Doctor check-in software harvests your health data. That might be the best voice acting inflection I've ever done. So basically what the article talks about is when you go to the doctor, you feel like you have no choice but to accept the terms of service because that's how it is everywhere. If you go to any website and you don't check the terms of service thing, you can't continue. But here's the interesting thing is at least here in America with healthcare, it's different. They still have to treat you. So a lot of these portals, if you don't check yes, or you check decline or say no, they'll still let you through. You've just now opted out of some or all of that data collection and sale. Security in Five, which is a great podcast I recommend you guys subscribe to, he also backs up this claim with a quick breakdown. If you want more information on that, definitely read the article and go ahead and give that episode a listen. I'll link it in the show notes. If you live in America, remember that next time you go to the doctor, try clicking the no button and see what happens. With that, we'll move into research. And we have a ton of research this week, but it's all really interesting stuff. So. We'll start off with a new vulnerability in Intel and AMD CPUs that lets attackers steal encryption keys. I'm gonna quote the article. Microprocessors from Intel, AMD, and other companies contain a newly discovered weakness that remote attackers can exploit to obtain cryptographic keys and other secret data traveling through the hardware. So the next paragraph basically talks about how hardware manufacturers have known that this is possible for a long time, but it's always required so many resources and it's been such a, an intensive attack that it, they haven't really worried about it. But now this is a new way of executing this using side channels 
that's quote, considerably less demanding. The team discovered that dynamic voltage and frequency scaling, which is a power and thermal management feature added to every modern CPU, allows attackers to deduce the changes in power consumption by monitoring the time it takes for a server to respond to specific, carefully made queries. With an understanding of how the DVS feature works, power side channel attacks become much simpler timing attacks that can be done remotely. The article says that for now, there's nothing end users can do. And the article goes on to say that even if there was something you could do, it's actually not clear at this point how much of a threat this is. So even though this is a new way to do it that's easier, it may still be out of reach for the average attacker. This may be like a, a nation state level thing. So don't panic. Don't throw your CPUs in the microwave yet. This might not be a big deal, or it could be a huge deal. We don't know. We'll find out. We'll keep you updated if we hear anything. But for now, the researchers are saying that developers should carefully consider how the findings affect the security of cryptographic software they design, and they are looking into other methods to harden things against this kind of attack. Our next story says Bluetooth signals can be used to track smartphones. So researchers from the University of California in San Diego presented at the IEEE Security and Privacy Conference last month. So the paper suggests that minor manufacturing imperfections in hardware are unique with each device and cause measurable distortions, which can be used as a fingerprint to track a specific device. This does require a quote, software defined radio sniffer. And there are several variables that can affect this attack, including things like the air humidity. But the fact that Bluetooth devices submit so many signals, there's still enough signals that this attack can be very effective despite all these variables. And ultimately this attack costs less than $200. So the researchers say that a fix must occur at the hardware level. So basically any Bluetooth devices that are currently out there are not gonna get fixed, that's for certain. And maybe not even future ones, depends on if the manufacturers care. But researchers are investigating software mitigations like potentially the ability to have the Bluetooth device create random noise to help obscure. The next story says your browser stores passwords and sensitive data in clear text in memory. This research appears to mostly affect Chromium based browsers as well as Firefox on Windows 11. This, I, I'm going to be honest, this article was not very well written in the sense of explicitly stating who is and is not affected. I'm not sure if it's like all Chromium based browsers and also Firefox on Windows only, or if it's like all Chromium based browsers on Windows as well as Firefox on Windows. I, I don't know. They didn't word it very well, but anyways. So this attack can work with physical access or remote access, and it does require the attacker to enter a username and password in order to exploit it. From there, they are able to dump usernames and passwords, URL and usernames, cookies, and other data. There's a couple of takeaways for this one. For one, this is not super easy. This is probably not something you're gonna find your average script kitty using on the internet. For another, this is a good reason why you shouldn't use admin accounts 24 seven. You should use standard user accounts because that will require the attacker to enter the username and password to exploit this instead of being in super user mode all the time. And finally, it's another reason not to store any data in your browser. Now, again, this is probably not gonna protect you if you're like actively in a session, you know, like you just logged into YouTube or ProtonMail or something. But what it does do is it mitigates the damage if you get hit with this attack. So if you're browsing the internet and you get hit with this attack and you never save usernames and passwords and stuff in your browser, then that means that everything you haven't logged into that particular session, which is most stuff, is going to be safe. And our last story was about lockpicking. It's just really interesting. HID Mercury access control vulnerabilities leaves door open to lock manipulation. So Trellix Threat Labs uncovered eight security flaws in the industrial control system technology that allows us to demonstrate the ability to remotely unlock and lock doors, subvert alarms, and undermine logging and notification systems. The vulnerable panels are used in government, healthcare, transportation, and education settings, among other sectors, and can be integrated with complex building automation deployments. As usual, the company tried to claim that the study was crap, but CISA issued an advisory 
So there's probably something to this in my opinion. And it appears that thankfully this can be fixed with a simple firmware update. With that, let's move into politics. And this is gonna be another large section, so bear with me. First up, the EFF's flagship Jewel V NSA Dragnet spying case has been rejected by the Supreme Court. So this goes all the way back to 2008. The EFF sued the NSA for mass surveillance via AT&T's Room 614A, which is something you should look more into when you have the time. Basically, this is where AT&T copied all of the data that passed through their system and submitted a copy to the NSA. And the Supreme Court has ruled that this case will not go to trial because of the state secrets clause, which basically says that if they try to talk about it openly, there will be national security risks, which is kind of ridiculous for something that's over 10 years old and also Snowden like dumped pretty much everything anyways, but whatever, that's their story and they're sticking to it. And unfortunately the Supreme Court bought it. So on the other hand, a Google privacy lawsuit over ad bidding is allowed to go forward. This lawsuit alleges that Google does not inform users enough about what data is collected and how it is used in real-time ad bidding. And for those of you who don't know, Google ads and Facebook ads and probably most ads get incredibly granular. You can target people, if not directly, indirectly on things like the color of their skin, their income, their religion, their disability status, like things that would normally be protected information. We'll keep you guys updated on that one. That one's gonna move forward. Next up, cops will be able to scan your fingerprints with a phone. I'm gonna quote the article. So-called contactless fingerprinting technology uses your phone's camera and image processing algorithms to capture people's fingerprints. Hold your hand in front of the camera lens and the software can identify and record all the lines and swirls on your fingertips. The technology, which has been in development for years, is ready to be more widely used in the real world. This includes use by police, a move that worries civil liberty and privacy groups, unquote. First off, I want to note, the article said that in order to use this software correctly, you have to hold your finger, I think they said like five centimeters from the lens. So I'm already predicting that this is going to be used wrong from the get-go. If you use it wrong, you're probably going to get wrong results. The article goes on to list some other common biometrics that are out there, like face recognition, the way you walk, the patterns of veins in your wrist, and the way you sound. And then they go on to explain what some of the controversies and the risks behind this technology are. Like, for example, fraud, identity theft, collecting data from people without them knowing it or consenting, and of course, mass surveillance. Just be aware that that's a thing now, unfortunately. All right, we do have some good news in New York from the EFF. The title says, Victory! New York's vaccine privacy bill heads to the governor's desk. This bill expressly prohibits in immunity information from being shared with immigration or child service agencies seeking to deport someone or take away their children based on vaccination status. It also requires that those asking for immunity information must accept an analog credential such as a paper record. This bill mainly applies to places that require proof of vaccination, so like restaurants or concert venues, and they're basically saying like, hey, we're going to put some restrictions on what you can do with this data. Okay, we're going to move up to Canada, where Ottawa is introducing legislation to regulate AI and bring back massive fines for data abusers. Quoting the article, Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne tabled a bill on Thursday morning to enact the Consumer Privacy Protection Act to replace a similar legislation that was launched in 2020 but not passed. It reintroduces what would be some of the biggest fines in the world for companies that abuse personal data, up to $25 million or 5% of the company's global revenue. Bill C-27 also promises to increase the power of Canada's privacy commissioner, including the capacity to order a business to halt data collection, and among the new features are heightened protections for minors' personal information, including an enhanced ability for them and their parents to request the deletion of their data. The government also introduced new legislation called the Artificial Intelligence Data Act, which would expand on the Privacy Protection Act's rules governing algorithmic decision-making. 
It would demand that many AI systems used in Canada ensure that possible harm or bias is identified and managed and clearly tell users how their data will be used. It sounds like it's something and it sounds like it really covers a lot of areas. So hopefully that'll get passed and not watered down too much. And that'll be a win for Canadians. Okay, now we're going to jump over to the UK where this article says, brace yourselves, new UK data laws are coming. So this article is obviously biased. It's, it's a, they're called the open rights group. I agree with their bias, but I'm just letting you know when you read it, they obviously have a story they're telling. This article claims that the UK is planning to gut the UK GDPR, which I believe they put in place after they officially separated from the EU and therefore GDPR no longer applied to them. And they plan to replace it with laws that favor corporations and spying. So for example, they're going to remove cookie banners and according to this article, basically just replace them with the default opt-in in cookie permissions. You know, cookie banners are annoying, so let's get rid of them and just check yes on all the boxes and that'll be the default. That's basically what they're doing. They also said that this would give consumers a lot less legal recourse for data privacy violations. So, but the article points out, you know, it's not too late to like contact your politicians and do some changes. So if you're from the UK, definitely click on that article and see how you can get involved in that. All right, here's some good news. The French government has launched a private bug bounty program for their identity authentication app. The, I'm totally going to screw this up. Francais Identité application allows French citizens to validate their identity when using government services or traveling overseas by sending secure single use digital identity documents. The app launched earlier this year and is currently in beta. So the French government has launched an invite only bug bounty program via Yes We Hack, which is a Parisian ethical hacking platform. It will eventually be opened up to everyone and it will remain running for the lifetime of the app. I'm not going to touch the app itself. I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm not educated enough on that, but I do think it's really cool to see governments finally prioritizing this kind of security in new services. It's awesome to see governments being proactive and not reactive. And you know, they're trying to implement security from the get go. If you're a white hat hacker, and especially a French one, like be sure to try to get involved in that and help these guys out. Our next story comes from Japan, where Japan has made online insults punishable by one year in prison in the wake of a reality TV star's death. Quick clarification here, laws against online insults already exist in Japan, and currently they are punishable by less than 30 days in jail and up to a 10,000 yen fine, which is about 75 US dollars. This law raises the possible penalties to one year and 300,000 yen, which is about 2,200 US dollars. And the law will be re-examined in three years. So in three years, they're going to check back in and go, hey, is this working? Is it too much, too little, blah, blah, blah. Under Japan's penal code, insults are defined as publicly demeaning someone's social standing without referring to specific facts about them or a specific action, according to a spokesperson from the Ministry of Justice. The crime is different to defamation, which is defined as publicly demeaning someone while pointing to specific facts. I think we all have the same thought here, which is addressed by Seho Cho, a Japan-based criminal lawyer, who warned that the revised law gave no classification of what constitutes an insult. And this is a quote from Cho. There needs to be guidelines that make a distinction on what qualifies as an insult. For example, at the moment, even if someone calls the leader of Japan an idiot, then maybe under the revised law, that could be classified as an insult. I don't think there's much more that needs to be said. Like that's just really unsettling intentionally or otherwise. I think that's kind of an attack on free speech and Japan probably needs to revise that law and clarify what counts as an insult. Finally, we'll go to China where Chinese officials are weaponizing COVID health trackers to block 
protests. Quoting the article, Chinese bank depositors planning a protest about their frozen funds saw their health code mysteriously turn red and were stopped from traveling to the site of a rally, confirming fears that China's vast COVID tracking system could be weaponized as a powerful tool to stifle dissent. A red health code designated the would-be protesters as suspected or confirmed COVID-19 patients, limiting their movement and access to public transportation. Their rallies in the central Henan province this week were thwarted as some were forced into quarantine and others detained by police. Regular listeners and fellow cynics are probably not at all remotely surprised by this. It's just really unfortunate. This is why we need to be cautious whenever governments roll out new mandatory things, new forms of collecting data and controlling people because they can use it for bad. They usually do, I would argue. All right, let me get off all my soapboxes. Let's move into FOSS, free and open source software. We're going to start with Simple Login, who has passed an independent security audit. This was performed by Securitum, and it applied to the web and Android apps. The extensions and iOS apps were not included because they are currently undergoing a major overhaul, so it would have been pointless. But hopefully they'll bring them back out and audit those when those are done too. The final report was overall positive and the only important issue was already addressed. No critical issues or security vulnerabilities were uncovered. The full results are available in the article, so be sure to check that out if you are interested. Next up, Chromium based on Bromite. This comes from Calyx OS. Calyx has reworked their stock browser to be based on Bromite rather than Chromium. I mean, that's pretty much it. Overall, this is probably a good move. Bromite is basically hardened Chromium and it has ad blocking and it's optimized for mobile. So this is a step in the right direction. Next up is a quick update. Firefox has rolled out total cookie protections by default to all users worldwide. We mentioned this previously in, uh, maybe it was last week or the week before, it was pretty recent, but now it's out for everybody. So total cookie protection confines cookies to the site where they were created, thus preventing tracking companies from using those cookies to track your browsing from site to site. Good move. Again, we want to applaud anybody who makes positive moves. Personally, I hope they will go further and make additional protections that they have available default because cookies are just one way of tracking. And last but not least, we just want to give a quick signal boost. JMP chat needs beta testers. JMP chat is a voice over IP solution. It's kind of hard to explain in like two seconds, but basically it's voice over IP going through an XMPP account. They are rolling out a new voicemail transcript feature and they need beta testers for it. So if you are a JMP chat user, go ahead and sign up for their uh, beta test and help them test it out. With that, let's move into misfits. First article says, stop using the iOS highlighter to hide your personal info in your photos. So apparently a lot of people who share photos on iOS are redacting information using the iOS highlighter feature. First off, good for you for redacting stuff. This article discusses how other iOS users can very easily undo that level of censorship. It has to do with the way the tool is built and the fact that it doesn't actually put a layer of redaction over there. Instead, it like does something with the hue saturation. I don't know. Basically, it's just, it's really easy for other iOS users to like click a button and reset it to the original image. The article recommends instead, you should either use, there's a rectangle tool that'll actually make a black layer that's much, much harder to undo. You should use an emoji or they do specifically shout out Signal. Signal can edit the photo, blur faces, things like that. And then you can send it to yourself and it strips it of metadata. So especially if you're a Signal user, that's a good thing to keep in mind. And finally, a new vital Chrome extension hides location info that your VPN can't. The article says a new Google Chrome browser extension called Vital prevents web pages from using programming APIs to find your geographic location leaked, even when using a VPN. I remember we shared this a while ago. I can't remember what episode it was, but I believe it's the the actually the same project they mentioned in this article called Locate.js, which again is linked in this article. So if you wanna see if you're vulnerable to this, go ahead and find that and click on it. It didn't work for me. 
And I, if I remember correctly, it didn't work on Henry either. When I initially discovered this, a lot of people were commenting and like, oh my God, this thing correctly identified the city that I actually live in. And basically it does it by, uh, if I remember correctly, it kind of measures the latency as your, your internet traffic is traveling and then takes a guess like, oh, you're using a VPN that says you're in Norway, but you're actually in Atlanta, Georgia or something like that. So that is a problem, obviously. I mean, VPNs, we all agree here at Surveillance Report, they're not this magic bullet solution that's going to make you perfectly anonymous, but they have their uses and they're good tools. But if you're susceptible to this attack, this is a major drawback. So someone has created this extension to help protect against that possible tracking method. To my knowledge, neither of us have used this. I haven't used it. I don't know if Henry has. So this is not necessarily an endorsement, but if you check out the locate.js thing and you are susceptible to this, then this might be an extension worth having. Again, if you check it out and you're not susceptible, I would say don't install it because the less plugins, the better. Okay, and that was all for this week. Unfortunately, there were no Q&A sessions. So guys, go sign up on Patreon and ask questions. We have 50 patrons, which first of all, that was our next goal. So woo, I just found that out just now looking it up. Thank you guys. Awesome. We're so humbled. But yeah, 50 people and no questions. Come on, man. Surely you guys have questions. If you have questions and you haven't signed up for Patreon, go sign up and ask them. And if you have questions and have signed up for Patreon, then... Go ask them. Anyways, that was it for this week. Once again, we had Thunderbird acquiring canine mail. We'll wait and see how that turns out. We have TikTok accessing user data after they said they wouldn't. We have a ton of research. It was really interesting research. Hopefully it didn't freak you guys out too much because a lot of it was very high level and probably not something you need to worry about at this point in time, but still interesting and worth knowing about nonetheless. Just all kinds of stuff. And as usual, we strive to keep you guys updated on future episodes as we learn more and as we hear more. Promo segment, again, we got Patreon, go ask questions for the Q&A. And if Patreon is not your cup of tea, again, we are big Monero fans. And I can say, at least on my end at the new oil, I know I actually spend Monero directly when possible. We do use a number of services that accept Monero and we use them a lot. So we're uh, definitely not just like holding on to the coins and hoping we get rich. Like we're actually using them. It's it's the same as donating fiat currency for us because we will use it directly. If you choose to donate with Monero, just know that that money actually gets used. It doesn't just sit around. We, we put it to use and it is appreciated. And same with Patreon, of course. If you are able to donate, whatever you are comfortable donating with and able to is immensely appreciated. Thank you guys so much. We wanna thank you for listening to Surveillance Report. The final thing we wanna ask of you, Share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're listening on a platform where that's an option. We want to see privacy reach as many people as possible, and you can help do that. I always recommend if there was a specific story that you think someone might like, go ahead and share it with them. So thank you guys for listening, and we will be back full strength next week.